Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta. There's a wave of philosophy called naturalism that many people ascribe to without even realizing what naturalism is, and we're going to talk about that right now. Many atheists say that they can reject Christianity because they prefer the idea of being food for the worms, my life will end when I die, rather than entertain the possibility of an eternal hell, which is the product of a loving God. Now, this preference for extinction is relevant to a popular apologetic issue, namely that many people embrace Christianity because, and only because, there's a kind of psychological consolation. It is comforting. But can't that notion of permanent extinction be comforting also, especially given the difficulties of this life and the prospect of death's sweet relief? We're talking to Pat Flynn about this problem. Pat Flynn is the author of How to Be Better at Almost Everything and the Best Argument for God. He is a reconverted Catholic, philosopher, writer, musician, fitness and martial arts enthusiast, and a husband and father of five living in, and they live in Waukesha, Wisconsin. He blogs at chroniclesofstrength.substack.com, and he hosts the Philosophy for the People podcast with Dr. Jim Madden. Pat, it is great to talk to you. It is wonderful to be here, Marcus. Thanks for having me on the program. So I was looking at your article in uh, on Catholic.com. It's uh, on the magazine. It's called, You Can't Have an All-Good God Without Hell. But this is annexed to your other article, which which was of great, greater intrigue to me, called Naturalism Won't Save You from Hell. I mean, right. <laughs> what a slap in the face. That that The title alone should, should send waves. Naturalism's not going to save you from hell. I mean, all the best at espousing it, though. So, but it's a problem. It's a it's a very modern problem, but it's a problem that didn't come didn't exist in a vacuum. It came as the result of a development of bad ideas. So, of course. So, tell tell me why you decided to focus on tackling naturalism. Well, first off, I used to consider myself a naturalist. For people who don't know who I am, which is probably a lot of people, uh, for many years I was an atheist. I was a philosophical naturalist, and through many different arguments and considerations, I eventually abandoned that paradigm and, and came to see that there was a lot of explanatory power and, and a theistic worldview, and ultimately the answers to the questions that most interested me seemed to be most satisfyingly answered by the Catholic faith, so that's where I am now. But even when I was a naturalist, Marcus, uh, there was a lot of, uh, uh, there was a number of aspects of that worldview that I thought were completely absurd and often terrifying. So even today when I talk with other naturalists, and I've had some, you know, frankly admit to me that they would prefer that God doesn't exist, so that way they just become worm food, as you put it, mm-hmm. rather than go to hell, I sometimes remark to them that within the, the great tradition of naturalism, even going back to certain ancient naturalistic thinkers, um, that wasn't the only option, right? There, there are many naturalists who countenanced all sorts of metaphysical possibilities yep. of what might happen yep. after death, theories of eternal return, that maybe that, you know, the universe sort of just recycles infinitely, if mm-hmm. you will, and mm-hmm. that, and not just that you just repeat this life over and over again, but maybe you repeat an infinite number of lives, and maybe the vast majority of those lives are absolutely terrible. So it's not hard when you really think about it to envision a, a circumstance where naturalism itself not only might include um, something like hell, right. uh, it, might, it might in fact actually be what we're in right now if naturalism is true. So I'm really just trying to dance around a couple of apologetic issues, but the first one is that nobody should take comfort 
in a naturalistic worldview if they think that that if that's what it entails, if that makes sense. Right. Now, uh, before we get into the weeds of this, I want to dial back in terms of a definition, Pat, largely because we, uh, I tend to throw around a, a lot of philosophical terms, and I don't want to have our listeners not be able to engage this in their minds. So what's materialistic naturalism? What's naturalism? Yeah, so, so naturalism is really the philosophically developed form of atheism. Mm-hmm. And atheism, when it's used by most atheistic thinkers, really is the position that denies the existence of God. It's not mere agnosticism where somebody's saying, I don't know if God exists. An right. atheist is somebody who's, who's making a positive claim about God not being there, right? That whatever else reality is, it does not include what most people traditionally think of God to be. And naturalism, at its sort of fundamental root theory, is run by what's called the principle of indifference, that whatever mm-hmm. is sort of at the bottom of reality for a naturalist, it's not an entity that is benevolent or malevolent, for that matter. It's just not an entity that cares about anything at all. It's exactly. indifferent, right? And a, a materialist naturalist or a reductive naturalist is somebody who's going to say that pretty much all we can know about reality, uh, and, and indeed many would say even the only things that we know that exist in reality are the things that essentially the sciences, and more particularly the hard sciences, tell us about. So right, that, that right. should help us kind of zoom in on what most naturalists are up to, yeah. And, you know, even as you're talking, I'm the the founder of literary naturalism, or at the very least, this is a person we uh, attribute kind of the modern notion of naturalism to. It's Emil Zola, who was a contemporary of Feuerbach, Ludwig von, von Feuerbach, uh, who was also right. a, a contemporary. Well, I mean, he he came just a little after, but he was a contemporary of uh, Auguste Comte. And all of these men, in one way, shape, or form, were you know gl- glorified empiricists. They were they were naturalists. Yeah. They were positivists. These were men who greatly elevated, almost divinized the natural order in human senses to the denigration of all that is divine and transcendent, all that is metaphysical. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely right. And it is important for people to know that naturalism has some, some very deep and extensive roots. In the article that you're referencing, I, I go back to ancient atomists. Mm-hmm. I even go back to certain Stoics. You know, it, it, sometimes people are familiar with this idea of eternal return, which I kind of call a naturalist hell, coming from Friedrich Nietzsche. But he Mm -hmm. himself sort of references the Stoics as the sort of seed idea of that thought. So it is a very ancient philosophy. Um, It seems to have a particularly powerful grip on modern society today. Mm -hmm. But it's always been there in some form or flavor for as far back as we can trace philosophical thought, right? Mm -hmm. You know, since since you brought up Nietzsche, and, and, you know, these these names that we're throwing out, these are men who, owing to the the massive surge of of the French, quote-unquote, enlightenment, they they wrote that tidal wave, and, and we owe a lot of the denigration of thought in Western civilization to a lot of their work. And Nietzsche though not French himself, his work in Ecce Homo had had a lot of influence in the the development of thought, especially in, in contemporary atheism today, uh, and particularly yeah. in Ecce Homo. So uh, you, you, you tackle Ecce Homo in your article, in, in this notion of eternal recurrence. So talk to us about yeah. that. Yeah, so, so Nietzsche's thought is very interesting. I, I kind of see him as um, an ally of sorts. Right, and mm. he was somebody who influenced me a lot when I was a naturalist, and he's somebody who sort of helped pop me out of naturalism because I think Nietzsche is somebody who, even though he's starting from an absurd, an absurd premise, is at least trying to drive through to its logical endpoint consistently, which is not the case that you see for many naturalists. Mm-hmm. So Nietzsche will go so far to say that if you give up God, you give up grammar. Um, mm. And what Nietzsche is getting at there is that without that sort of fundamental 
reality that is classical theism that can sort of anchor the intelligibility of nature, right? Mm -hmm. You really wind up with a, a world of brute absurdities, a bunch of things that seem to be crying out for explanation that ultimately cannot find explanation. Um, and, you know, Nietzsche is not just talking about the moral realm, which he was pretty clear on that he didn't think that there was any right. objective moral realm or anything like that. He goes even deeper. He thinks that, that he's, he's fundamentally, I would take him to be a, an absurdist. And so I like to present Nietzsche because I think that he is um, he's somebody that should should revise his starting point, but he's somebody that helps sort of, sort of runs the reduction to the absurd mm -hmm. through for the naturalist as a naturalist. So I find that people like that could be helpful. And then not only that, um, in terms of just the philosophical project of the absurdities of naturalism, which are really a, a sort of nihilism that Nietzsche is promoting, right? Yep, yep. He also goes further and seems to be personally haunted by the, the range of possible outcomes um, in terms of a naturalistic existence, right? right? So he's he's not very quick to think that, okay, once I just get through this painful existence, that's the end of it. No, he seems to be personally haunted by the idea that he might come back again and again and how many other forms and have to relive <laughs> exceedingly painful experiences right. over and over again with no way to possibly escape from it. And again, that seems like... A, if that's not exactly hell, that seems pretty close to a version of hell that I think if, if people start thinking about that seriously and they realize that there's no reason as a naturalist to exclude that possibility, and there might even be some reasons to think that it might be as equally plausible as anything else, that should, that should cause you to be uncomfortable. That doesn't mean that, that the theory is untrue, um, but, it doesn't, but you know, the, the skeptic who says that you only believe Christianity because it's comforting, that doesn't mean that Christianity is untrue either. I mean, it, it has no relevance on whether it's true or not, right? <laughs> right, right, I'm right. just trying to even the playing field and saying, well, hold on, you're not going to just find easy comfort in any particular worldview. And if we want to you know, get past these sort of silly apologetic games and actually give arguments for one another, we can certainly do that. So I'm kind of situated in a particular dialectic there, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah. It, it does, it does. And I'm actually very grateful for what you do because, and I'm also grateful that you brought up Nietzsche for a lot of reasons. Uh, I, I wasn't a self-identified naturalist when I ascribed to uh, anti-theistic uh, ideologies. I I was an anthropological materialist. I was very heavily influenced by Feuerbach, kind of a modification of the modern God of Gaps argument. But ultimately, it has its roots in this kind of fundamental form of uh, naturalism. And I was drawn to Nietzsche, but the one thing you and I did see in Nietzsche is that Nietzsche was a man who stuck to his guns, and his nihilistic yeah. naturalism led to logical conclusions. So on the one hand, it's easy to say that these were reductio ad absurdum, but on the other hand, if driven to their logical conclusions, these are the things we actually have to face. For example, in his work, God is Dead... God is dead, we have killed them. And then he goes on to talk about how, and as a result of that, subsequent generations, subsequent years, will be the bloodiest that mankind has ever seen because without, right. we have killed God. We've killed our own moral accountability. Our leaders now are beholden to no one. They've made themselves God. So I'm really grateful in that regard that you've, you, you brought up Nietzsche and, and, and his doctrine of, well, not doctrine, his uh, treatise of uh, eternal recurrence. Yes, and of course, you know, most people are familiar with the, the God is Deadline. It's, it's famous, right? But they don't understand the context of the lament that that's in. Yep, exactly. Right? This, is, this is not a joyous celebration. Oh, gosh, right? no. Nietzsche, Nietzsche is issuing a very dire warning, in fact, mm -hmm. right? So even though he himself was an atheist, I think he saw pretty clearly the, that there would be significant uh, and disastrous consequences mm -hmm. once people realize the ramifications or once the ramifications of a sort of godlessness set into society at large, right? Yeah. 
So going back to uh, naturalism just as a an ancient ideology, but a kind of pervasive ideology, it really does rest upon a deliberate removal of the divine from what should ostensibly be a sacramental worldview. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, when it comes to the philosophical projects of, we might call it worldview comparison, mm-hmm. and for people who aren't familiar with those terms, a worldview is really a big picture of reality, right? Mm-hmm. It's a philosophical theory of everything that you try to use to make sense of all the things in the world that we think need to be made sense of, right? And so the naturalist is somebody who thinks that we can essentially make sense of everything that needs to be made sense of just through atoms and the laws we use to combine them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that's that's effectively the naturalistic position. And in a lot of the work that I do, I strongly challenge that particular assumption. But I hear the music coming up, so maybe <laughs> we'll have to just dive into that on the other side of the break. Yeah. Thank you, Pat. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break with Pat Flynn, author of How to Be Better at Almost Everything and the Best Argument for God. I'm Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. Marcus Peter here, filling in for Al Cresta. I'm talking to Pat Flynn, author of How to Be Better at Almost Everything and the Best Argument for God. And we're talking about his article, Naturalism Won't Save You from Hell. Now, Pat, we were talking earlier about how naturalism can be traced pretty far back. There are ancient roots to naturalism. You you can talk about the atomists. Now, what's funny is... Even atomic in this regard, yeah, atomic naturalism is no longer valid because we've come into the age of quantum mechanics. And right, you know, I, I quantum mechanics is a is a kind of pet field. I, I continue to read, and uh, Professor Craig Savage uh, from the Australian National University he he put out a statement saying we've discovered thirty six. Uh, quantum particles to date and growing. So even naturalism by itself doesn't have a fundamental theory to stand on because you've yes. got particles, you've got antiparticles. So what naturalism posits, despite the fact that it claims to be non-metaphysical, it claims a metaphysical perspective or worldview like you mentioned earlier. And and that's where, you know, it, bad ideas turn around and shoot themselves in the foot. Yes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, but to try and get a couple quick points across uh, to your audience, you know, naturalism is sort of motivated by what we, what we might call as a, a broad scientism, mm-hmm. right? And what that effectively means is the naturalist thinks that how we're going to sort of spell out reality, uh, the things that we can know or the things that we exist, it should come through the scientific method, the right. hypothetical deductive method, right? And you're right, like, this is constantly turning up new things, and seems like atoms aren't the sort of bottom level of physical reality, and this is why naturalists have kind of given more vague metaphysical statements of what their theory is, because it's not entirely clear uh, exactly what the, you know, what they should say physically, right? So this is why naturalism is first committed to this principle of indifference, that whatever else is sort of fundamental for a naturalist, it's got to be something utterly indifferent, right? right? And that's where they start to kind of build, you know, the rest of their, their theory from there, but it's also usually committed uh, for people who are interested in this to something like source physicalism, that whatever else reality is about, uh, physical, non-mental reality comes first, mm-hmm. and mental reality is something that's late and local. That's another key commitment. Right, late, well, local, and developed after. That that's exactly right. Yes, yeah, you, you clearly know a lot about this. 
And so, you know, a lot of my, my project, and indeed what's in my forthcoming book that you mentioned, The Best Argument for God, is just showing how that worldview is entirely inadequate, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of atomic theory plus evolutionary theory itself leaves certain things not just unexplained, but in principle inexplicable to begin with. Like, why is there any physical world at all to begin with? Right. That seems like something calling out for an explanation, but it excludes the very possibility of that explanation. So already a theistic worldview gives us greater explanatory scope and comprehensiveness, I would argue, because it can cover something that needs to be explained that naturalism in principle cannot explain. But also if you're just working with atoms and laws and evolutionary theory, really hard to make sense of consciousness, rational thought. You know, the laws of physics are not the laws of logic. Yep. Uh, Almost impossible to make sense of morality. And these are the the certain things that Nietzsche himself was was very much, you know, hip to, if you will, and just helped to kind of draw them out in his time. Mm -hmm. But I'm just kind of taking it a step further in the more contemporary conversation. And and what I my project, what I'm typically up to is just saying, hey, look, we've got two competing philosophical theories here. One explains pretty much everything we need explained really easily and really well, which is a slight asterisk next to that problem of evil, which we always deal with separately, right? Right, right, right. And it's a really simple theory, and it's a really unified theory. It's got all those virtues that you want of a good theory. Very explanatory, comprehensive, very simple. Naturalism leaves a whole bunch of things brute, unexplained, poorly explains other things, and when you really dig into it, it's a very complicated theory. So there's really not any reason to endorse this, plus the primary motivation for it, which is a scientism, is itself a very, very weak motivation to begin with, because there's no reason to think that science sort of exhaustively captures everything that there is to capture about exactly. reality to begin with. So that's the, that's the nutshell case that I begin to make philosophically against naturalism, if, if that's helpful at all. And just to make a tangential argument here, science has never, it, it's not like these conversations that talk about a unifying theory that explains all of reality. It's not like these are modern things or these are isolated things in history. It, it would appear that at every single era of great scientific development, we've been attempting to do this. You've got the pre-Socratic natural philosophers or naturalist philosophers, you know, people like Anaxagoras, uh, Thales, Democritus. I mean, these guys were the atomists. And then you get Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, and and this great treasury of of, uh, Socratic and eventually Aristotelian philosophy. And then even the the post-Aristotelian philosophers. And then we get the empiricists. Everyone's been trying. And of of late, in the sphere of physics, you've got string theory and... uh, yeah, general relativity, special relativity, and and no one ever succeeds. No, no one ever succeeds because when when we relegate ourselves to a completely empiricist, materialistic worldview, then we automatically shut ourselves off from the transcendent, which gives these things the laws to operate with. Okay, I'll, I'll prove to you why I'm saying this. The laws of quantum mechanics can sometimes violate the laws of macrophysics. Mm-hmm. And that's why quantum uh, quantum physicists and macrophysicists will sometimes be at odds with each other. They, 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 some of their laws are incongruent. So in light of that, naturalism by itself will never be able to provide a satisfactory metaphysical worldview. Even Aristotelian meta- metaphysics needed the, the theological elevation that was done by people like Aquinas primarily. That, that we now have. It's really the theological worldview provided by the church that encapsulates all of reality in the most satiating manner to the intellect. Yes, that's, that's great. I completely agree. And just to draw out your point a little bit, you know, when physicists talk about a theory of everything, they're talking about a physical theory, yep. right, to make certain predictions. It's related to what, what's called etiology, right, how mm-hmm. one physical process unfurls or relates to another physical process. But that, in principle, could never 
answer the ontological question yep. of why there's any physical process or event at all, right? In principle, it could never answer that. So if you think that that's a legitimate question, which I certainly do, and most philosophers think it is, mm-hmm. then you can immediately see the inherent limitation to the naturalistic worldview. It just has to leave that a, a giant question mark, despite all the promissory notes that they're giving us, right? <laughs> which are always promissory notes, right? But everybody can make promissory notes. You talked about the god of the gaps before. Well, there's definitely the naturalism of the gaps as well, right? <laughs> So, you know, it's kind of what's good for the goose is good for the gander, just like my point about naturalism in hell. Well, just like, yeah, I'll, I'll grant that, you know, theists have sometimes posited the god of the gas. We've got to be careful about doing that. But naturalists are often just as guilty of the same thing, right? Right. So going back to your title then, naturalism won't save you from hell because espousing naturalism, ascribing to that ideology, puts you to kind of hell. Like, your your article isn't talking about the theological reality of hell juxtaposed with this, this false ideology of naturalism. No, it's about how there are certain hells that are made by our own doing if we ascribe to naturalism. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, it really has become increasingly more difficult to even try and put on a naturalistic lens for me because it all, it all just seems so fundamentally absurd. And mm-hmm. this is kind of... Uh, the tune I've been singing for a while now that I think if you're a naturalist, the only way to, to be a consistent naturalist is just to be an, an absurdist. But that just, you know, makes consistency impossible altogether, right? Uh, it sort of, I think, lands you in a sort of Peronian skepticism where I think the only thing you can really do is kind of just wiggle your finger, right? Uh, <laughs> right. And I think there have been certain naturalistic philosophers that have really gotten that. Unfortunately, I think they've been in the minority among naturalists. You know, we've already talked about a few like Nietzsche and maybe more contemporary times. You have people like Alex Rosenberg who, you know, outwardly endorses nihilism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that this is somebody, though he's starting from an absurd premise, is, is trying to reason consistently to what he thinks the inevitable outcome is. My point would be, hey, once you get to that absurd conclusion, you should go back and, and revise your starting point, of course. And right. this is, I mean, but at least that's what I did, right? You know, when I was kind of, I think trying to just follow the train of reason from particular naturalistic commitments, and I saw that it would cause me to eliminate or deny features of reality that are supremely obvious and that you can't even coherently deny, uh, whether moral features or features of rationality, right. uh, free will, uh, consciousness that I, that I even exist. Many naturalists mm-hmm. say that. No, the whole idea of yourself is an illusion. You're just a, a cloud of particles sort of organized in this particular pattern and nothing right. more. These are absurd positions. They, they're fundamentally unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if you reach something like that, the rational response is to keep walking back until you get to a point where you can make a change so you can avoid those absurd outcomes. And I think the only place you can walk back to and avoid all those absurd outcomes is the very beginning, right? Amen. You switch that fundamental paradigm from a naturalistic, atheistic, reductionist worldview to one of classical theism that can give you all the resources you need to make to really give you a common sense philosophy, right? right Metaphysics right. is complicated, and, and the way you spell it out to actually ultimately explain everything gets pretty detailed. But ultimately, I think the, philo- the philosophical worldview of somebody like Thomas Aquinas is very common sense. He doesn't yep. have you denying you know, obvious features of reality. He gives you a sophisticated system to ground them and to explain them. And it is a system that is very unified, it's mm-hmm. very beautiful, and ultimately at the end of the day, because it connects with the Catholic faith, I think it's extremely hopeful as Amen. well. And salvific, frankly. And, it, it's and the indeed. only worldview that's going to save. 
Yeah, I'll end to that, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned that logical conclusion dialing all the way back to the genesis of the idea. But there is that other conclusion, which I'm reminded of in Augustine's Confessions as well, that, you know, you've got these abject skeptics where no truth will convince me. I mean, Nietzsche followed this in his nihilistic naturalism to its logical conclusion, spent the last 11 years of his life in the state of a constitutive break in his mental health. It, he, yep. He's 11 years of his life in and out of an asylum, and even if I'm remembering correctly, I think he died in an asylum. And largely because, I mean, uh, there were other reasons. Uh, apparently there was a kind of dormant syphilis that he suffered from. which Disease, yes, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, but over and above that, this was a man who saw the, the natural logical conclusion of these false ideologies. Like you mentioned earlier, there's this kind of prescriptive, for, foreboding reality. If we kill God, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, I think the benefit of most people who call themselves uh, naturalists and atheists is they don't think about it too deeply or too long. Because the moment you do that, it's hard That's to convenient. it isn't going to take a significant toll on your psyche, right? if you know what I mean. And yep, I think yep. that's what you're hinting at. Um, and that's right. I mean, look, it did for me. I, I, I definitely would like to think that I'm, I'm ultimately after truth and going with what is true. But I was never comfortable in a naturalistic worldview, right? Mm-hmm. And for all the reasons that we've explained here. And it would take a significant toll on my psyche. It's hard to just walk around in everyday life thinking that maybe you don't even exist, right? <laughs> let alone that you have no control over outcomes. But that's what that paradigm was forcing me to think. Now, at the end of the day, I could never seriously swallow and believe that. So what I had to do is look for a new paradigm that could at least have me think that I do exist, right? Right. And at least can make some significant moral choices in life that maybe I can history isn't just passing through me but maybe I can affect history myself in, in some way and, that and love is real right that there is a, a sort of objective moral landscape or blue yep. you know, blueprint for my flourishing yep. and that there is something after death that isn't complete absurdity or nothingness and what I try to convey to people is that there is a worldview that can do that and it is a intellectually muscular worldview yep. far more muscular yep. than the naturalistic worldview yep. yeah and and frankly ever since i became a catholic or at least returned to the catholic church i have found that this is the most robust intellectual tradition system that man could ever ascribe to and it's ever ancient and ever new i'm still 15 years into christianity i'm still discovering things as if for the first time and I'm realizing that the deeper I plumb its depths, the, the more I realize I'm never going to get to the bottom. And, and that's exciting. So as you mentioned, it's a complex system, but so is ascribing to something as silly as naturalism. Uh, yes, but it's, it's complex in a way that is coherent yep. right, and that's yep. unified. That's, that's a major difference. right? One thing that really struck me about Catholicism, because like most people wandering out of naturalism, I took a, I took a survey of the various theistic options, right? Uh, not just within Christianity, but without. And the one thing that really struck me about Catholicism is apart from, I think, the historical veracity, is the internal logical consistency between doctrine. How doctrines over here inform doctrines over there. It is a very consistent system. And that's a mark of beauty and itself an indicator of truth. And that's because it's grounded in the divine logos, the reason who is Christ himself. I could continue this conversation with you for hours, brother. We're talking to Pat Flynn. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon.